Welcome back to part two of my chat with Dante St. James, a lead trainer with Meta Australia and New Zealand. Okay, so you spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, even though you are a Meta lead trainer. Let's talk about that. Also, you post, and I did some like really low-key stalking to figure this out. You post several times daily generally Monday to Friday, on LinkedIn. Your content is very high quality, tip of hat. But does quantity also now play a part if you, as a digital strategist, are posting several times daily? Mm, Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So I follow my LinkedIn results mostly because that's where my clients are. That's That's where they're interacting. I'm more likely to find my business owner clients there than I am on Facebook or Instagram. Instagram has been interesting because it's something which I put no effort at all into. It's never been a place where I've wanted to do effort because it's simply, I don't think that my people are there. And likewise, my people are on Facebook but they're not looking for me. They're not looking for business. They're connect, connecting with family and friends. And I am neither of those things. So I go, well, I, I will put things across to Facebook. So when the strategy, I, for the 1st of, 1st of January, 2022 was my whole new approach to LinkedIn and personal branding. And I gave myself three months. I posted everything in advance before the 4th of January, because I know that's my parents have the same birthday and I needed to have all that done before their birthday. So I could go out and have a birthday lunch with them. So I spent three <laughs> days locked door, locked in my environment just going through brain dumping on there and came up with three months worth of posts and with that it's taught me then uh, to watch what the results are to watch where the ebbs and flows are and one of the great ebbs and flows i see is that there are times when i'm too present so I'm, Mm. i'm in there too much and that's when I notice when people who are meeting in, in networking events, like the LinkedIn local event here in Darwin, or in any of the other networking events through Chamber of Commerce and Tourism Top End, when I'm getting too often that's saying, every time I open LinkedIn, you're there. Every time I open this, you're you're there. And I'm like, okay, I need to pull back a bit. And, mm. and my, my stats, my insights are saying exactly the same thing, is that what would normally be reaching three and a half thousand people on LinkedIn, suddenly reaching 300, I know I'm doing too much. And that's where I need to pull back a little bit. So I'll often take a, a break for a week and produce one thing a day. So I'm not Amazing. always on top. And then yeah, wow. so just you've got to watch those patterns because it's just so different. And sometimes I'll do a post where particularly my contrarian ones, I had a run recently that's reached about 50,000 people now, which was all about the fact that I unfollowed Simon Sinek on LinkedIn. <laughs> and it got so one. popular. People just seem to love that. But if I tried to reproduce that and say, here's why I can't stand Oprah Winfrey, then it'd be, again, too much of the same thing. So you just, it, the old idea where you go, let's try something out. And if, if, if it works, do more of it actually is not right because it's Mm. a different set of people every day online with different reactions, different moods that they're coming in with. Someone who yesterday was like, yeah, you know, burn Simon Sinek at the stake is today just going, oh, geez, the the crying CEO, I saw the massive pile on that happened with this on LinkedIn last week and I don't feel really good about piling on things like this. And suddenly my contrarian attitude goes from being, yeah, let's go to, oh, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? So you've got to always be doing something a little bit different. That particular strategy I use now, the five different kinds of posts every week is it's not like Monday is post number one, Tuesday is post number two, vary it all around wildly. And like we've said, I break back to one post a day and grew that back out again, see how they go with an extra post a day. Okay, two, that's fine. Try three. Ah, no, that wasn't fine. Bring it back to two. Two seems to be the sweet spot with the occasional, you know, 
additional posts here or there. But what I'm trying to do though, is have my pattern through weekdays so that you know, you're building a particular pattern of content for people who are expecting it for Monday to Friday. And then my weekends are more about number one, my newsletter, which is my single most successful thing I do. I've got like nearly 9,000 people on that thing now. So it's now a really good newsletter with a great following and it's looked forward to and it, and it delivers more clients to me than anything else I do, even more than what LinkedIn does. And then Sunday is all about a slice of life. It's a mm. slice of my life. It's uh, like you were seeing the post I did about going to um, to Festival Park and the Darwin Festival. That was on a Sunday, and that was like yeah. showing that I'm also human. I'm not just this. I'm on a Sunday. Uh, whilst it might be really, really nice to come and teach you something today on Sunday, you're probably not in the mood for it. You're just flicking through your LinkedIn and going, or your Facebook and going, oh, what's bright and colourful? Here's some beautiful lights and some beautiful decorations at Festival Park. And I'm taking time out to sort of be taught something by someone else who's better at photography than I am. <laughs> oh gosh, there's so many good points there. The fact that like you can be too present. This is something that I've been talking to the Darwin Festival about because now that they finally have a social media campaign manager, they've never had one before. They just think, you know, we should be posting five times a day. And I've tried to explain to them that the algorithm will only really push your most recent post. And so if you've had this really high-performing post like the Simon Sinek one, you going and posting something new straight afterwards is actually going to cannibalize that post. So let it go. Like see how far it can go before you go and create something new that's going to essentially like you're robbing Peter to pay Paul by doing it that way. So I absolutely love that. I also really love the slice of life. I think that the pendulum has swung a little bit too far in the other direction, which is that people are now thinking that social media platforms are their own personal soapboxes and that they need to share every single detail about their life, their marriage breakdown, their kid has ADHD. And I just think that is just so off base. If it is not somehow linked to your business or your personal brand or your offer, then I think that is just noise. I always say that without strategy, content is just stuff and the world has enough stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Let people get a taste of your personality, but you do not need to overshare on social media in order to to do what? To get people to like it. But then are they really going to go on and, and purchase one of your products after you've spoken about your marriage breakdown? I don't think so. So lots of really, really, really actionable tips there. So how do you manage all of this? Like if you're posting seven days a week, sometimes twice a day, how do you actually do that? Because I've got something I want to admit. I don't schedule diddly squat, nothing, nothing is planned unless it's my campaigns. So I feel like there's two modes in marketing. You're always on approach, which is what you do in between your campaigns and then your campaigns. And my campaigns are fully planned out, all the paid and organic posts, but the always on marketing, which is what happens in between my campaigns, it is purely intuitive. What I feel like I want to talk about on that day. And it will only take me 10, 15 minutes to write a post and they perform extremely well because they are very much done in the moment. So let's talk about that. Mm, it's a bit of both, really. I, I like to swing between both. So uh, the last two weeks, everything was built on a Sunday, recorded 
scheduled everything, proofread everything on a Sunday and went out for the rest of the week. And I didn't have to touch anything for the rest of the week. This week's a little different because I actually wanted to take a little bit of time out. When I was when I was supposed to be making my socials, I actually felt like going for a walk on the beach. So I took a walk on the beach. That would seem to mm-hmm. be the thing I wanted to do. So I went with that. And it means that Monday and Tuesday of this week was planned. It was all pre-written. But Wednesday forward is not. So what I'm going to do now is, you know, if I'm feeling tonight that I'm really, really inspired to do some more stuff ahead of time, I'll do it or I won't. I might just wait for the day. The difference mm. is though, that I know what I'm going to write about. I've got a, a, a specific plan that, that's there, which is these are the topics I'm going to cover, but I'm not necessarily going to write about what they're going to cover. So my particular spreadsheet, it's kind of complex, but not really that complex. It's here's the dates here's you know what my core content is so everything goes back to what i call hub content and the hub Mm -hmm. content is a blog post a youtube video a podcast episode it could be like a bigger piece of content much deeper goes deeper it shows expertise it shows depth of thought and, and breadth of experience but everything goes on social media it's just like a little clip of that. It's like a, here's a little bit to get attention because social media when it comes to business is really just about getting attention. It's not about converting yeah. anything. They don't know you well enough to convert. They don't trust you well enough to convert, especially mm-hmm. if you're a consultant or a therapist or someone who works one-to-one with people rather than in a retail environment, for example. You've got to show some kind of empathy first to drag people in, relate to their problem uh, or relate to where they're at in life. Then they might go, okay, I can read more about it here great i will go and read more about it there and i'll learn there's a lot more depth through that i learn trust i know you i like you now i trust you now i'm much more likely to to go ahead and do something further with you but that doesn't come from posting what i like to call um ladies laughing at lattes in cafes <laughs> posting those photos and i think you know you can picture it exactly what i mean consultants who are all about laughing at lattes and laughing at iphones going while they're in a cafe you know usually with white walls and boho references and and it's that sort of stuff, which is, you know, whilst it's so on brand, it's not really addressing what the values of that brand are. It's just simply saying, look how beautiful this is. Look how pristine this is. And I can tell you that no one's desk who works in social media is that tidy and clean as what we'll see often in the ladies who are laughing at lattes. Oh, totally. I just really love how you've called a spade a spade, which is that social media is really much more for the top of the funnel. It is for getting attention. And then exactly like you, I make all my money from my email list. I've spoken about this substantially during this podcast, but they'll see something on social media and it is all about getting them onto my owned channels, my landing pages, my website, my email list. And then that's where we can do the real nurturing towards a product or a service that might, that suits them. But hoping that social media is going to be your entire marketing funnel, I think is probably where the number one issue happens with social media. And again, this is where comparisonitis comes into play because they'll see someone like you, Dante, posting so often on social media. So they think that this is the start of the end of your marketing plan. But the fact that you've just told them that there's 9,000 people on your email list means that you went and built that castle probably first. And now you're, you're getting people to come and visit the castle. I only started using that email list this year. So about probably three months ago, I started using that, but I've been building it for for 11 years. That's been building, 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 building to one day I actually had a process and a strategy that was ready to go. And that was, um, actually, I've got a funny story about exactly Mm. what you're referring to, how someone 
on not realizing that that the social media is not the be all end all to the to the marketing and thinking that what they can see of the results on there must be whether you're doing well or not. And it comes from a guy called George who was on on TikTok recently, and he somehow spotted my YouTube channel, and he was kind of making fun of the fact that I produced nearly 250 YouTube videos. And look at this, you know, he's only got one view here and two views here and, and four views over here. Now he conveniently skipped over the ones that have got 14,000 views and 1,500 views and just went for the low-hanging fruit, which is all good. But what he doesn't understand that YouTube is not where I get my conversions from. YouTube is part of a funnel. What he also doesn't understand is my highest value client acquisition comes from people who viewed my YouTube videos. So whilst I get most of them through the email list and LinkedIn, the highest value ones come through that YouTube. I don't need 1.2 million views on a video. It's My stuff is not that interesting to appeal to 1.2 million people who are looking for a laugh. My stuff is specifically to show expertise, to deepen the relationship and the trust factor with the people who bothered to see it. If that's too people, that's great because I'll usually convert one of them. Uh, you know, if mm. I've got like six views on a video, I can track back to the point that, you know, out of those six views, two of those people became clients. So that's a third, that's a 33% you know, hit rate. That's pretty amazing. I don't need a million people to view a video. I just need one, mm-hmm. one warm lead to view that video for them to already have known who I was through social media to click through to that YouTube video, watch it in its entirety and go, yes, this is the guy I want to work with. And that's what no one understands is that that stuff I do on social media, like you said, that's just the top of the funnel. That's just the beginning of the journey. That's not where my clients come from. Oh, so true. I love this discussion. It's so good. Got Marketing is brought to you by Campaign Del Mar a marketing education platform for entrepreneurs. Master the fundamentals of marketing, nail your email marketing strategy, or join my signature program, Campaign Classroom, and learn how to create killer marketing campaigns. These are not the kind of online programs where you are left floundering, unsure how to put theory into practice. Nor will these programs sit unfinished for months. You can expect accountability, a supportive community, and to walk away with practical, real-world marketing skills. Learn more at campaigndelmar.com. Okay, so you are also, in amongst all the incredible things that you do, a personal brand specialist. And I've I've had this conversation with some of my clients who are e-commerce brands. I totally understand personal branding for service-based providers because it's like, well, they're buying a service. They're essentially buying you. But I would love to hear your thoughts about e-commerce brands, whether they should be focusing on personal branding because I say that they should, but my clients are like, no, 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 it's not me. I'm not the hero of the story. It's the product, the product, the product. There's a lot of products in the world. <laughs> and it'll be and, and you look at like skincare. There is just so many skincare brands now to the point where traditional brands like Revlon and Maybelline are actually struggling because there's so many of these little drop shipped from China makeup brands and drop shipped from Vietnam, you know, uh, mineral makeup and 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 skincare routines that are coming out from everywhere. They're with all the same ingredients, they've cracked the code, they've disrupted the industry. But there's about 50,000 of them active on Facebook at any one time of different brands selling the same stuff containing hyaluronic acid or caffeine infused whatnots that go into to do amazing things for your skin. So when it comes down to it, 
there's going to be some sort of past personality that has to stand out there. So what's the difference between, you know, this brand over here that has the same white packaging with the same black writing to look all nice and premium as this other brand who's got exactly the same looking packaging with exactly the same writing on there. If the product is not the differentiator anymore, because the products are all the same, they've all got some killer ingredient in them. They've all got some kind of amazing difference or some organic thing or some you know, infused with green tea extract. They've all got something. So once you look at that and go, well, they're all saying how amazing special they are. What's the one point of difference you're going to have with that? In Australia, it could be that this brand is shipped from Australia. So, you know, you're not going to have big shipping charges. That may be a point of difference. Another point of difference may be that like uh, Carolyn Hartz, who uh, has built a bit of a personality on television about using sugar-free products in order to control her weight and control her, her desire to eat sweet things. So when she goes to sell something through her Sweet Life website, which she's currently working on getting all changed and made up now, she's actually able now to go in with an audience who already knows who she is. Like it's, it's cooking, it's inositol and you know, xylitol and monk fruit sweetener. It's not a person, but because she has taken the time to build a brand around that and went viral in, of all places, Brazil with a news article that still gets her around about 5,000 hits a week, she's able to leverage that. The difference between her and everybody else selling the same stuff is her. So there's definitely room in e-commerce for personality. Now, where we get caught up is we think it has to be us that's the face of it. And we have to, the personal brand has to be me, the owner of the product. It doesn't actually have to be. That's what spokesmodels are for. That's what mm. influencers are for. You could attach a personal brand who is an influencer who is only loosely affiliated with your brand. And they might be on five other brands, but that's what Kylie Jenner does. She's a personal mm. brand who associates herself with products and those products get a boost from it. So personal brand doesn't have to be your personal brand. It can be attaching someone's personal brand to your product who is appropriate, who is you know demographically appropriate for or who your audience happens to be. Totally. I've always said that like brands don't start with value. They are just a corporate entity. It has zero value to anyone. That value grows over time. You know, Maybelline now has this incredible brand value, but it didn't always start like that. So until your brand has value, you have to drive that value through a personal human story because humans like humans, people like people, they're interested in people, and then you can transition away from that. So let's look at an example, Frank Body, okay, the original coffee scrub. Everyone thinks that they became huge because of their social media, and they did. But we also know the founders of that brand. There's Brie Johnson, Jess Hadzis, Erica Gerhardt. We know their names. They did the PR circuit. They went out there and spoke about their founder journeys. And now I don't know who the current founders of Frank Body are. I think there are some changes. But the brand itself now has enough equity where that those founders behind the brands can start to remove themselves. Same example with Mr. Yum. We know the co-founders of Mr. Yum and they are constantly on Smart Company and Forbes talking about, you know, their cap raising and talking about how the sausage is made behind Mr. Yum. And now that that brand is starting to get traction, they can start to make it more about the Mr. Yum brand personality. But brands need personalities. And the great thing about humans are, well, most humans, is that they have a personality so that they can impart to that brand. Loan it to it, really. 
Yeah, most small e-commerce operators, they don't have the momentum. The product is not known. Someone doesn't even know who it is. They're not going to trust it to buy it. You're just another option in the many, many options that are overwhelming when it comes to skincare or fashion or shoes or anything which is a fast-moving consumer good. Really, it's just not going to work. Frank Body is a perfect example of that. Sarah Davidson from Matcha Maiden is another one of those who she was a recent part of October Business Month in the Northern Territory last year and explaining how she left the world of law and went in to create this matcha maiden because she discovered matcha while she was in Japan and went, why is this not huge in Australia? Now it is, largely because she was kind of the person who brought it to Australia and made it known here. But she had to attach herself to all of that. It had to be a personal brand. She was the matcha maiden. She doesn't Mm. own the company anymore. That's all sold off now. And she's still very closely associated with that brand as the matcha maiden. But now it doesn't need to have her in every picture, her producing all the copy and producing the social media posts because now it's a brand that stands on its own. It doesn't require the personal brand to run it anymore. Totally. Great. All right. Last question. You and I both work with startup founders. So what are some quick fire top tips for our beloved founders about how they can work smarter, not harder, so that they can walk away from this episode with some actionable advice? Number one, stop trying to be a hero and trying to do it all by yourself. There is unfathomable amounts of help out there for startup founders and for people who are looking for help. I do it myself as an entrepreneurship facilitator. There's so many new businesses and they get to this point and they go, oh my goodness, I wish I had done this back then. I'm like, well, if you had to come and see me first, I would have put you in that process to begin with. There are free services. Like what I do is absolutely free. I spend so much time with people every week who are trying to start up new businesses and new startup fast accelerated companies but they just, they just seem to do this hero thing and they want to just do it on their own and not get any help. There is free help available, so just use it. Uh, secondly, I would say then is work out how things are going to work before you start branding yourself. So work out whether it's actually going to be a thing. Do more research up front before just jumping in and doing it. Whilst it may be the romantic you know, story about how Mark Zuckerberg grew Facebook from a hot or not app and, and then suddenly it became a big thing in Harvard, then it went to other schools and and he made all these mistakes along the way. Those mistakes cost him personally very dearly, financially, a huge amount of money. And he probably, if he could go back there right now and go, if I do this differently, I probably would have taken a bit of better advice and not being such a dick on the way there. And thirdly, I would say, (laughs) spend the money on the right people. Don't just get mm. your friends and family in because they're cheap and they're, and they're, they're free labor. Actually spend the money on the right people. A startup or a new business is an expensive thing to do. If you're doing it from zero dollars, then you are stuck. You're, you're probably not going to make it work. Those 1% of 1% of 1% of cases where they grew a billion dollar unicorn out of, you know, out of mum's garage, that's not the actual way that most startups go. They go through, I have to go to the bank and get a bank loan in order to be able to get the money to be able to pay for this. Or I had to go spend two years working in a job I really hated to save up the money I could save to be able to be the starting capital for what I'm doing. Or I have to go out there and build a pitch deck and go and pitch it to investors and and you know be humiliated 20 times before someone turns around and says, you know, Gary, that idea of yours is really good. So it's just, you know, get help when you need it. Don't do this fancy stuff first. Do the stuff that actually gets things moving first. Make the money, then get fancy. And then the third thing, yeah, definitely just make sure that you are concentrating on what it's going to take, and that's usually money, 
before you start this thing. Have some money there because if you're going in with no money, big dreams, no money is kind of like a category that I now put some people in. I go, yeah, <laughs> big dreams, no money. And you know, you're either going to have to attract the money from somewhere else or you're going to have to somehow save it up. Yeah, that is such, we could talk about that for 45 minutes, I reckon. Like how much money do you need to start a brand? I mean, of course you can do it yourself. There's, you know, you can watch all the YouTube videos and, you know, download all the $49 courses, but that is going to take a really long time, (laughs) a really long time. Like I'm a professional marketer. I've got skills. I can write and I can design to a certain degree, but still I've had to spend money growing this business because it's so competitive. I saw a really good LinkedIn post actually from a guy called Charles Lobsha that I used to work with at the Taboo Group. And he was dishing out some really tough love, which is like, if you are not 100% committed to entrepreneurship, if you don't wake up in the morning and say, I am born to do this, this is, I couldn't possibly work for anyone ever again. And this is like, I don't, there is no plan B for me. I'm not going back to work. This is it. Then please don't start your business in 2022. Like that is, I don't know if I'm that extreme, but I love the bucket that you have big dreams, no money. It's true. Like just operational costs, you know, like I use Kajabi for my website, my online course, my podcast, my CRM, and it's $300 a month, like every single month. And so like you need to start with some money. And then of course, when you get busy starting to service clients or starting to sell products, then you're going to get busy. So who's going to do the other stuff? And that's where you're going to need to bring on staff or bring on consultants. So yeah, I think this sort of rose-colored glasses that we've been led to believe that entrepreneurship is by any means easy, that you can absolutely do it with no money, that social media is the easiest way to grow your brand. These are all just lies that we've told ourselves, right? Take a look around. The world is littered with the carcasses of businesses that had big dreams of making their money online that just didn't. Shopify accounts. How many Shopify accounts get started up every year? And it's around about 90% of those accounts are cancelled within Mm. six months because people didn't make the money that they thought they were going to make for it. Didn't plan, didn't have the money, didn't have the capital or the background, didn't account for the fact that, you know, the cost of everything was going to go up so much this year and they couldn't go with it. So much to the point now, Shopify had to sack, you know, how much of their work workforce in the past couple of weeks, this model is broken. This whole idea is that you can get a get a free Canva account and, and a Facebook page and, and the sky's the limit. It isn't true. It never was true. It was true for 1% of 1%, but we have romanticized those few people who'd managed to succeed and thinking that somehow this, just like network marketing or multi-level marketing, we romanticize the 1% of the 1% who actually have reached that double diamond deluxe level and are getting the, the houses and the cars and the, and the holidays but we don't see the 99.9999999% who make less than $50 a year. Yeah. So on a positive note, if your business is growing all by a little bit, then that's great. You should be celebrating you. And if you are doing it tough right now, then you are doing it right, right now. Okay. So just forget all notions of scaling your business to seven figures in your sleep. And, you know, in six weeks, making a hundred thousand dollars, just you can grow your business 
incrementally slow and steady, it's actually proven that businesses who grow slower are the ones that stick around and we're still talking about. So we'll leave on that positive note. (laughs) It has been such an absolute pleasure having you on the show today, Dante. How can people get in touch with you and learn more about what you do? Probably the main way is either on LinkedIn. Just look up my name on LinkedIn. There's not many of us. In fact, I'm the only one. And uh, my website, DanteStJames.com, is also where you can join up with the newsletter and become part of my funnel. I love people jumping in my funnel. Well, we'll put a link to the newsletter in the show notes so that you can go and see what those 9,000 other people are all giddy about. So, yeah, go and do that. And thank you again, Dante. It was such a pleasure. Thank you. And yeah, happy to do it again. Thank you. You listened right up until the end. So why not hit that subscribe button and keep the good marketing rolling? Podcast reviews are like warm hugs and they're also the best way to support a small business. You can connect with me, Mia Fileman, on Instagram or LinkedIn and feel free to send me a message. I'm super friendly. <laughs>